can have a seat. As you're grabbing a seat, please turn with me to Malachi chapter 2. Continue our study in the book of Malachi this morning. I guess it's an occupational hazard, but I'm, I'm always looking for illustrations. Even when I'm on vacation, I'm looking for illustrations. I see illustrations, and so you get stuck with my uh, illustrations that I see out and around. We were just in, in Washington, D.C., and there are biblical illustrations everywhere. You can't go to that city and not be struck by the greatness of one of our founding fathers, George Washington. Uh, in particular, when you go into the Capitol building, into the rotunda, and you look straight up, the ceiling of the rotunda, there is a painting there. It is called the Apotheosis of Washington. And for those of you who, who haven't boned up on your Greek recently, that means the deification of Washington or the ascent to deity. He is surrounded by a pantheon of Roman gods. If we zoom in on Washington in particular, he is flanked by the goddess of liberty and the goddess of victory. And they are ushering him into this pantheon of gods. I feel very confident that Washington would have been appalled by this painting. Okay? Because if you read his biography, he was a man of incredible character. In particular, he was a man of great humility. He loved serving his country, but he saw himself just as a servant. When he finished his tenure as president, some wanted to make him king, King George, and he refused. Many wanted to bury him in the capital. As a matter of fact, as you're standing in the rotunda, if you were to go directly down, the room below is called the crypt. It was made for George Washington to be buried there. No one is buried there because Washington refused. He didn't want to be buried in the very center of Washington, D.C. He wanted just to be buried humbly at his home in Mount Vernon. He was a great man because he understood that he was just a servant. And he saw his service as a privilege, as an honor. It's a great country, but he saw himself just as a servant. As I was reflecting on this, I thought to myself, how much greater privilege do we have that we serve not merely a human nation, but we serve the one true God who has created the heavens and the earth. Last week, Matt finished our study of Malachi chapter one. The end of Malachi chapter one, God is challenging and rebuking the people because their their worship of him is regarding him casually. There's no conviction, there's no cost in their worship. And he turns to the priests and he challenges the priests because the priests should be leading the people in their worship of God, but they have lost a sense of the greatness of God. And so they take this privilege casually and they begin to see this privilege more as a right and they treat God as common. Chapter two, God continues this challenge to the priest with a warning. I want you to read with me beginning in chapter two and verse one. And now this commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen and if you do not take to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I've cursed them already because you are not taking it to heart. Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Chapter two, God begins to warn the presumptuous priests. And he reminds them that they are called, they are not self-selected. It is a privilege, it is an honor, it is a gift from God. It is not their right to serve as priests. They were selected all the way 
back at the beginning of the nation, when God rescued the nation out of Egypt and slavery, he called the tribe of Levi to serve before him. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8 says, At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord to serve him, and to bless the people in his name until this day. Now the writer of the Hebrews develops this concept as well, pretty thoroughly. Hebrews 5, verse 5, 5 verse 4, it says, And no one takes the honor of priesthood to himself, but he receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. It's not a right, it's a privilege. And with this privilege came incredible responsibility. The the priests were literally to be uh, the visible manifestation of God on the earth. If you look at the description of uh, the tabernacle, Moses had a vision and he had a vision of the throne room of God. And God said, go down and build something like what you have seen. So as the people enter into my presence, they'll have a visible reminder of what it might be like in heaven. And as they see the priests in all of their garments, they'll see my beauty. High priest would wear gems on his chest and on his turban, demonstrating the beauty and the value, the glory of God. As the Levites made the sacrifices, they were dressed all in white to remind the people of the holiness of God. They were to be the manifestation, in a sense, a visible reminder of the very nature and character of God on earth. They were uh, intermediaries or mediators between God and men. They were also to take the needs of the people and present them before the Lord. They presented offerings and sacrifices and prayers to God on behalf of the people. They stood between. Of course, when Jesus Christ came, that priesthood was set aside because it was just a shadow. And Jesus Christ became the perfect high priest. The one who was God in human flesh. When we see Jesus, we see the perfect manifestation of God in human flesh. This is what God is like. And as our high priest, he brings our offerings to God. He offered not a lamb or a goat for our sins, but he came into the presence of God and he offered his his very life. He offered himself as a perfect sacrifice, a substitute for our sins. And now we are able to come boldly into the presence of God. As Steve read earlier in his prayer, we come boldly because we have this high priest, Jesus Christ, who has made a way for us. We don't come on our own merit, but we come boldly and with reverence and awe because Jesus Christ has made the Father accessible. The moment that we trust that Jesus Christ is our Savior and our priest, that changes our entire identity. Jesus Christ is the great high priest, but he has established a new priesthood under him. And who are his priests? We are. Every man and woman sitting here that knows Jesus Christ personally, is a priest of God under the great high priesthood of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul reminds us, there is just one God and there is one mediator also between God and men, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all and thus became the great high priest. And then established a new priesthood, 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter says, but you, church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice specifically what he says. You are a chosen race. Now, are we all of one race sitting here? No, we we live in a very international community next to Texas A&M University. We're not all of one physical race. And so what Peter is reminding us 
is that now the priesthood of God actually transcends race. It is made up of men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. We are a holy nation. Are we all from one nation? No, we have people who worship here that are from all different nations from the face of the earth. And the church exists in every nation. We are not literally a nation. What we are transcends nation. It transcends race. We have so much higher calling than simply serving a human nation which will rise and fall. We serve the one true God and his kingdom which will endure forever and ever and ever and ever. What I find interesting is that God's intention was actually that it wouldn't just be the Levites in a sense that would serve as priests. Certainly they had a special and particular role, but God's intention was that all the people would serve as light to the nations. Exodus chapter 19, it says, You, Israel, you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, all of you. But Israel took lightly their priesthood, and their priests took lightly their special role among the nation. And they took God's blessings and they enjoyed them for themselves rather than becoming a light to all of the nations. What about us, church? As the new priesthood under the one true God, do we take lightly our priesthood? Israel did, and as a result, God removed that priesthood from them. Their privilege, in a sense, was revoked, and they became cursed. Read with me again, chapter 2 and verse 2. O priests, if you do not listen... If you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already because you are not taking it to heart. Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. God says, I'm going to send a curse on you. You you are going to be put to shame. You know, yesterday I was thinking about this pastor and I thought, you know, I, maybe I feel, feel kind of like I should apologize because it's very graphic. And I thought, no, God stuck it in there. You know, don't apologize for it. It's, it's very graphic for a reason. It was God's intention. God says to the priest, I'm, I'm going to curse you. I'm going to put you to shame. I'm going to put you to shame. The way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to spread refuse on your faces. That word for refuse is it's the entrails. It's the guts. When someone brought an animal for offering, the Levite would take it and he would gut the animal. And the people would watch that. They needed a a visual reminder of the cost of sin, the, the brutality that was involved. They needed to see the blood. And so the Levite would gut the animal and take the entrails, take the guts, and then take it outside the camp and it would be burned. And God is saying to the priest, well, I'm gonna take those entrails that's discarded and I'm gonna throw it in your face. That's That's pretty... Brutal, that's pretty graphic. That's, that's literally, that's in your face. Did he, did he literally do that? No, it's a figure of speech. It means, I'm going to render you ceremonially unclean. You're not going to be able to do your job any longer. Why not? What's going on here? Read with me again, chapter 2, verse 2. If you do not listen and if you do not take it to heart... To give honor to my name. What's the name of God? Well, he has many names, doesn't he? El Elyon, El Shaddai. 
We've got name after name after so many names. But what's the name singular of God? It's his character. It's his personality. It's his reputation. It is, in fact, his greatest concern. God's highest concern is God's own reputation. It's the thing that he guards with the most jealousy. He mentions it over and over again, in fact, in chapter 1. Read with me chapter 1, verse 11. For from the rising of the sun even to its setting, that is, across the entire earth, my name, my reputation will be great. That is, it will be given its proper honor among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord who commands the armies. But you are profaning it. To profane means to treat as common, to treat as ordinary. The problem is you priests are treating me as ordinary. You're just going through the motions of worship. That's what the pagans do. They try to manipulate their gods by going through the motions of worship. But you're not doing it from the heart. There is no conviction. There is no cost in your worship. And as a result, you're regarding me as common among the people. And so the people are treating me as common. How are you doing that? Well, last week, Matt explained that in their worship, they would bring blind animals and lame animals and sick animals. They had promised their best to the Lord, but they would bring half-hearted offering. And they treated God as common. The analogy God says to them, he says, well, would you present that to your governor? Or as Matt said, the president showed up, would you serve him macaroni and cheese? Would you say, yeah, we've got some leftover pizza here. Let me pop it in the microwave. On Father's Day, you know, it was one of the few times a year that we would help my mom cook dinner. And, you know, we said, what can we make dad that's special for dad? What does dad like to eat? My sister would always make some really fancy, intricate dessert for dad to honor dad. We didn't say, dad, we got a leftover coupon from McDonald's. No, we want to... To give dad something that shows dad we love him, we honor him. And so their worship was dishonoring. There's a second factor here. If you turn to chapter 2, verse 8, it says, But as for you, you priests, you have turned aside from the way, you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord who commands the armies. So I also have made you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but you are showing partiality in the instruction. Okay, so they are bringing defiled offerings, and they're showing partiality in the instruction. Specifically what that means, we're not told in the text. Probably what it means is that they were only willing to teach the rich and the powerful, or they were unwilling to rebuke the rich and the powerful. Maybe they wanted favor, maybe they wanted honor, maybe they wanted power, maybe they wanted wealth. But they were using their priesthood in a way that misrepresented God because God is not partial. Relative to God, we are all poor and weak and blind and wretched and naked and miserable. And so God regards us all the same with mercy and justice and truth. He is always the same with all people. And that is a proper representation of God. They are misrepresenting the very nature and character of God before the people, showing partiality in the instruction. That's not what God is like. The book of Revelation, the Lord rebukes the churches. 
the Malachi, the priesthood was taken away. In the book of Revelation, the churches are at risk of losing their opportunity to serve as God, God's priests. first church that is rebuked is the church in Ephesus. Chapter 2, it says, this is Jesus speaking, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Now, what's the lampstand? Well, fortunately, in Revelation, a lot of the figures of speech are actually explained to us. The lampstand is the church. It represents the church. Why a lampstand? Because a lampstand promotes light. It gives light. The church's calling is to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light to reflect the light of Jesus Christ, his nature, his character, his power, his works. And Jesus tells the church, if you don't repent, if you don't do what I called you to do, to be light in the darkness, then I'm, I'm going to take the lampstand away from you. I'm going to remove your right to serve as priests. I'm going to take it. If you go to Ephesus today, or that region, you find that the church is tiny. It, it, it's, it's small. It's withered. The lampstand was removed. It was taken away. You see that in the history of the church. God has moved in particular ways through the church in different areas at different times. But a lot of times the church then takes the blessings of God for themselves. All the spiritual wealth, all the material wealth, they take it and they, they use it for themselves. And the lampstand is removed. Church in England was powerful in the gospel, sending missionaries everywhere. Now we are sending missionaries to England to replant the church. My parents are in Sweden right now. My family's Swedish. And uh, they've gone a couple times. The church in Sweden is, is dead. Sweden used to be, per capita, the number one sending church in the world. They sent more missionaries per capita than any other nation. Now you go into the churches and there's one or two or three people. The church is sponsored by the state. The pastors are told what they can preach and what they cannot preach. Church in America, we are blessed. But this serves as a warning to us. Why are we here? Are, are, we, are we here to create a, a social organization to meet our needs? No. We are here to be equipped to take the gospel into this community, onto the campus, and into the world. And when we lose that vision for our calling, God will rebuke us. God will warn us. I don't want to remove the lampstand from your place. With so much privilege comes great responsibility. To whom much is given, much will be required. So what is the privilege of priesthood? I want you to read with me again. Chapter 2 and verse 5. My covenant with Levi was one of life and peace. And I gave them, that is, I gave my revelation of myself to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and he stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. For the Levitical priesthood, they had a special relationship with the Lord. Again, I take you back to Deuteronomy chapter 10. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to serve him, and to bless in his name until this day. Therefore, Levi does not have a portion or inheritance with his brothers because the Lord is his inheritance. Now, you know that that Levi didn't get a tribal geographic allotment. 
They had particular cities scattered throughout each of the tribes, but they didn't have a tribal allotment. Why? Because the Lord was their portion. They had a special relationship with God. Levites could, could draw closer to God than any other people. They came into the holy place and they offered sacrifices to God. The rest of Israel stood outside while the Levites brought their offering near. They had the scripture. They had the scripture in a repository in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. They could study. They could learn. They could, they could teach and debate one another. They, they had an incredible privilege in their unique relationship with the Lord. How much greater do we have, church? When Jesus Christ died, the veil of the temple in that day literally was torn in two. A, a visible illustration to us that entrance into the very presence of God is now made possible for us. See, even the the priests and the Levites could only go so far. Then they were stopped by that veil. One priest once a year would go beyond that veil into the Holy of Holies, what was an earthly representation of the throne room of God. Once a year, and when he went in, he went in in fear of his life. If he didn't follow procedure properly, he might die. And so, according to tradition, they would tie a rope around his ankle in case he did die. No one would have to go back in there and risk death as well. They'd drag him out. The access was greater for Levites, but it was still limited. Now for us, the Holy of Holies is made open. When you pray, your prayer is taking you into the very presence of God. Not because you have a right to be there, but because your great high priest has a right to be be there. And he says to his father, this one belongs to me. This is one of our priests. Receive this one into your presence because this one is covered by my blood, which is perfect. We have perfect access to the Father. Every single one of us. We have the word of God. We're told by Peter that even the angels long to see the things that we now see. We see a much fuller revelation than Moses ever understood. We understand the plan of God to make a perfect sacrifice, not blood of bulls and goats, but his only son. We know that. We know what's going to transpire in the future. We have the book of Revelation. We have so much more information. We have the spirit as a permanent indwelling presence in us who empowers us to serve God. We have the spirit illuminating our minds so that we can understand God's word in ways that they couldn't understand before. Even the prophets didn't understand everything that they were saying. The spirit of God illuminates our minds. Church, we are rich. We are blessed. Let's make it even more personal. Grace Bible Church. If you look in the rack and pew in front of you, you can reach out and you can just take out a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, you can just take that one home. It's free. All around the world, there are people who don't even have the Bible translated in their language. Or if it's translated, they don't own one or they can't afford one. We've gathered here to worship freely. We didn't have to bar the doors or put out sentries to make sure the government wouldn't come in and arrest us for worshiping God. And we were driving home from uh, Oklahoma last week. Uh, Tristy often reads to me while we drive. And she was reading to me a story about house church in China. And these house church members would get up at 2 or 3 a.m. They'd get on their bikes and they would ride to a location that was hidden, maybe a cave or an apartment building. They would sneak in from different 
places so that they could gather and they could worship. And they were always in fear that there would be a knock on the door. They would be arrested. They might be taken to prison. They might be tortured. They might be killed just because they were believers in Jesus Christ. None of them owned a complete copy of the word of God. And so when they finally received one, they held it up in honor. They wept at this incredible gift of the word of God. And we go online and we click between translations and commentaries and Bible dictionaries and encyclopedias just at the click of a mouse. We are rich. We're rich materially. The church is richer now than the church has ever been in its history. You know, I love statistics, so I got online this week and um, looked up the median income for uh, families in Texas. Median income, families in Texas, according to the latest census data, is about $72,000. for a family puts the median Texan family in the top 0.01% of families in the world. That means that the median family in Texas is richer than 99.9% of the world. You say, wow, man, I don't make $70,000. Well, I, I figured someone would say that in their mind, so I checked on $40,000. Gives them, you know, another benchmark, $40,000. If you make $40,000, your family does annually, you're in the top 0.5% of families in the world. That means your family is richer than 99.5%. We are wealthy. Why have we been blessed like this? So that we can be a blessing. So that we can execute our priesthood, our mediation of the blessings of God. What did the priests do? Well, they stood in the presence of God and they were given the privilege to bless the people. And that is why we are blessed. To whom much is given, much is required. So what does it look like? What's a good priesthood? I'm going to give you three characteristics. There are many more, but there are three that Malachi lists. I want you to read with me, beginning chapter 2, again, verse 5. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. And I gave him my revelation. I gave him the word so that they would be an object of reverence. So he revered me and he stood in awe of my name. What does a good priest do? Well, first of all, a good priest knows the word of God. Guess the foundation. A good priest knows the word of God. The priests and the Levites studied. They discussed They debated, they memorized massive portions of the word of God. Here we are, we're gathered and we're studying the word of God together. And I will say, this is is a really important time in the life of the church. Uh, Corporate worship, corporate study and encouragement. But I will also say that, you know, this is the most ineffective way to learn. You do know that, don't you? I mean, I, I realize even in saying that, that I've got some job security issues on the line. But this is the least effective way to learn. Okay, one person speaking and others listening, and there's no opportunity for you to discuss, ask questions, debate with me or with one another. The most important spiritual meals that you consume are the ones that you prepare for yourself. You need to know the word of God. You need to study the word of God. You need to own the word of God for yourself. You need to have it hidden in your heart. One of my favorite passages in the book of Acts is Acts chapter 17, verse 11, describes the, the Jews in Berea. It says, now these, the Jews of Berea, were more noble-minded 
than those Jews who were living in Thessalonica. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Uh, who was their teacher? You know, who, who's their teacher in Acts 17? Anybody? Paul, exactly. Paul was teaching them, and they listened to the great apostle Paul teaching, and they go, oh, we'll think about it. Let, let us check this out for ourselves. I love that about them. They listened to Paul, they discussed with Paul, they debated with Paul, and they said, we'll get back to you. They go to the scripture, and they read, and they study, and they think, and they pray, and they say, is what he said true according to the scripture? You need to do that with everything that I say. Is it just opinion or is it the word of God? It has no power if it's only opinion, only if it is the word of God. And every believer, a priest, every believer has an obligation for himself or for herself to know the word. Second, a good priest teaches the word of God. Verse seven, for the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Every good priest teaches the word of God. And you say to yourself, well, no, I'm not, I'm not a teacher, Brian. I say, oh, yeah, yeah, actually you are. <laughs> Every good priest is a teacher as well. The Great Commission applies to the entire church. And it says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to do all that I've commanded. In fact, the writer of the Hebrews rebukes that group of Jewish believers. And he says, by this time, you have been believers for so long. Now you should be teachers of the word. But I have to come back and spoon feed you the milk, the, just the rudimentary things of the word. You should now be teachers, every single one of you. Maybe not in, in the way that I teach, but in some form. Maybe it is with your children or with your spouse or with neighbors or with friends. Maybe it's just with one other person or two or three other people. Maybe it's as Deuteronomy says, as you get up in the morning, you are passing along biblical truth. Or as you walk in the way, living life together, as you go to bed at night. Maybe it's in that forum. But every single one of us, we don't really know the word of God until we can pass it along to others and reproduce its truth in the life of somebody else. Third, a good priest lives the word of God. Verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turn many back from iniquity. The walk throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, is a metaphor for the life. He didn't just know it, he didn't just teach it, but he lived it. Whereas Paul told Timothy, the goal of our instruction is not knowledge. The goal of our instruction is love. That is, a character transformed into the image of God. That is the goal of our instruction. Not just know it not just teach it, but live it. So how do we apply this? I know I always like to leave you with a very specific application. So uh, I have a question for you. Has anybody ever memorized a verse out of Malachi? Anybody? Okay, we got one. Well, first hour was a little more spiritual. We had two. All right, so you're, this week you're going to. You're going to memorize two verses from Malachi. That's your assignment. Hey, Malachi chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It's about priests, which we are. True instruction was in his mouth or her mouth. And unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. And he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. I want you to memorize this and I want you to meditate on it. I want you to think, what should my priesthood look like? 
How am I called to reflect the name of God, his character, his personality? Where does my life need to change because I'm not reflecting, I'm not walking in a way that is worthy of this calling? To whom am I a priest? To whom do I represent God? Am I that one who's the mediator? Are there requests or needs that I need to bring before the Father on behalf of these that I represent? What does my priesthood look like? Do I take my priesthood seriously? Do I see it as a right or as the greatest privilege that could be given to a person to represent the one true God, the creator of the universe? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would not take you casually, we would not take you lightly, but that we would honor you as you truly are in all of your greatness. Father, I thank you for the incredible privilege that was made possible through our great high priest, Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for him. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon.